The Bible reading is from Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the sight of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father God, we pray that your word uh, would be a word of challenge that uncovers false trust and sin in us this morning, but also a word of comfort that points to you and to the promises you have made that we can rely on. And we ask this for the glory of your son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, look, there's a lot that is miserable and frustrating and difficult about life in lockdown. 
I think the, the truth is that at this stage, we're all royally fed up with it. Or at least most of us are. And I certainly think my family are probably very fed up with me complaining about how fed up I am with it. And I don't know what it is that you find hardest about things at the moment. But as I've spoken to people in the last few days and watched the news, one theme that seems to have come up again and again and again is the struggle that we face with the loss of control that we're enduring under coronavirus. Now, Shout, which is an organisation which supports young people, so they've seen a huge upsurge in the number of people contacting their counselling services. And one of the volunteers said this, it is anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. The overall theme has just been the lack of control. And I guess for, for many of us, we are used to being able to plan our lives with a fairly high degree of certainty about what will happen uh, tomorrow and next week and even next year. Uh, we plan our working day and all that we'll get done. We, we plan the projects. We plan the pictures, the paperwork, the people that we'll meet with. We plan our evenings and weekends, the leisure activities that we're looking forward to enjoying the family and friends that we want to spend time with. Uh, we plan our holidays and trips, the, the places that we're looking forward to, to visiting and long to experience. But a month and a half ago, all of that whoosh, basically evaporated. No matter how competent, how well-educated, how well-funded we are, we find ourselves unable to control all sorts of areas of life that we felt like we had that we had tapes nailed down before. Now, some of you, I know, it means you basically can't leave the house. There were medical issues that before didn't have much of an impact on your life, but now you can't leave the house. Now, some of you, well, you had to cancel weddings and there's nothing you can do about it. Some of you had stable careers with reliable firms and predictable salary and you find yourself on furlough or the future of the business itself is in jeopardy and there is nothing you can do about it. Many of you are at home now balancing careers and work schedules and homeschooling and family life and, and you feel like you're doing everything badly and nothing, nothing competently. Each day feels like barely managed chaos and there is nothing you can do about it. I was chatting with one guy who said to me in the first week he realised it would be good for him as a Christian to learn to control and to, to, to learn to give up control and to trust God more. And he likes to be in control and was, uh, and, and was aware that that would be a very good lesson. But as much as he knew it would be good for him, he said, actually, as the weeks have gone by, it's got harder and harder and harder to deal with the reality of that. It's been uncomfortable. It's been painful. It's been a real struggle. And I guess that's an experience that many of us this morning will know only all too well. Self-sufficiency, you see, is our default. Self-sufficiency is what we want, it's what we work towards, what we study hard to ensure that we'll be able to have. We want to be in control of our lives and, and we think that the, the best way of life is one where we are in control and we can manage the risks. But the Psalms, the Psalms tell us differently. The Psalms tell us that only God has the power and the wisdom to be able to be in control of everything. Now, Psalm 33 is going to speak to us words of, I think, challenge and words of comfort this morning. 
It's a reminder, actually more of a reminder. It's, it's a celebration of the fact that God is in control of absolutely everything. He rules all things by his mighty word. And so the psalmist encourages us. Look, if God is in control of everything, then trust in his promises. Because God is in control of everything. Trust in his promises. Now, structurally, uh, the psalm starts with three verses praising God at the beginning and three verses calling us to trust in God at the end. And then in the middle, we get the reason to do so, the reason to praise him and the reason to trust him. His mighty, trustworthy word. Let's look at it. Uh, just two points. First, firstly, praise him for his word is mighty and trustworthy. And then secondly, trust him for we are weak and needy. Praise him for his word is mighty and trustworthy. Verses one to three. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Sing praise to the Lord our God. In commanding us, praise God. God is inviting us to enjoy him. I have to say, I really, really am missing singing at church at the moment. I'm not sure many at church would say they're missing my singing, but I miss hearing all of you drown out my caterwauling with your wonderful singing. It's such an encouragement to be surrounded by my family, my church family, singing God's praises. Now, there's a nice balance to, to the call to praise. If you look at verse three, play skillfully. Uh, in other words, those who have musical skill, use it. God is the most excellent being of all, and he deserves our very best endeavours. And we are so richly blessed at CCM to have highly skilled musicians who delight to use those skills to help us praise God. If you've got skill, use it. But then the second half of that verse, shout for joy. Where ability is lacking, enthusiasm can more than make up for it. Praise God, praise God. Now, Christians have always been singing people. The heart of Christianity, you see, is good news. The news that the, the great God up there cares for little old me down here is good news. The news that the holy, perfect God has come and died on a cross to forgive and bring life and hope to sinful, filthy me is good news. It is news so good that you have to sing about it. And I would say a word to those of you who are still looking into Christian things, working it out, weighing it up. I would humbly suggest that if the central heart message of the Christian faith doesn't sometimes make you want to sing for joy, then it probably means you haven't yet grasped what it means. If it doesn't make you want to sing, then I think I need to tell you that, well, there is more to the truth of Christianity than you've yet realised. So keep going. Keep digging, keep exploring what the Bible teaches about what Jesus said and did, for it is wonderfully good news. Now, the Psalms are full of specific reasons to praise God. And here in Psalm 33, the focus is on his mighty and his trustworthy word. Uh, verses four to nine focus on the creative power of his word. The profound truth in verse four is the foundation for everything that follows. But it's very easy to miss what's being said. Look with me at verse four. Uh, you'll find um, a link at the side panel here to, to an outline, and I think you'll also find that there should be a link where you can click on the text of the Bible. So verse four. 
For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Do you see the, the second half of the verse parallels the first half? He's saying God's word and God's work, what he says and what he does, are inseparable. What he says happens. Now, our words can have a very powerful and life-changing impact in the real world. You say, I do at the right moment. I we find the defendant guilty. I declare the lockdown over. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, words can have a powerful impact, but none of our words get close to the awesome impact of the words of God. Uh, look with me at verses six and nine. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Verse nine, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Astronomers estimate there are uh, seven septillion stars in the cosmos. Septillion uh, is a word they made up when they lost count, I think. And physicists tell us that there are more atoms in a single grain of sand than there are stars in the whole universe. And the Lord God made all of them by speaking a word. Every atom of every grain of every planet and star and galaxy was breathed out by God. Verse 7 is uh, particularly wonderful right now. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. The seas for the Hebrew way of thinking were chaos and decreation. So it was nature at its most uncontrollable, most terrifying, most overwhelming. And here is God just pouring it into a jar and popping it on the kitchen shelf. That's the level of control the creator God has over his creation. Nothing is beyond his care or his control. He is sovereign over the eruption of great volcanoes, and he's also sovereign over the spread of tiny little viruses. He is in control. Verses 10 to 11 then really form, I think, the heart of the, the teaching of the psalm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generation. For all the grandiose boasts of emperors and presidents and titans of industry, history is his story. It is God whose purposes alone stand firm through the generations. God's word is as secure as God's world. Okay, what does that actually mean? What are his purposes? Well, the Bible, the Bible is a record of promises which reveal God's purposes, what he says he'll do, his purposes in history. And those purposes, those promises, well, they start right at the beginning of human history. God promised in Genesis 3.15 that he would send a serpent crusher, one, one to destroy the power of evil and undo the sin and the curse and the death that ruin and afflict our world. That's quite a generic kind of promise. But over the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that follow, the promises become much more specific. He chooses one man, Abraham, and says, I will make your descendants into a great nation. And he promises to that nation that he will raise up a saviour for the world from the line of the great King David. 
And more than that, that this great saviour will be born to a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, that when he grows up, he will be put to death, pierced through hands and feet, but after that will rise again to life. Different dynasties wrestled for the throne of Israel over the centuries from without, uh, from within, and empires rose and empires fell and, and enslaved and ruined and invaded Israel from without. All these challenges and human activities going on. Whole people groups grew to great prominence and were wiped out entirely, and yet through all of it, God's purposes and his promises were worked out. And every word of his promises came true. Now, we know how hard it is to make predictions and promises about the next month and the next year. And yet here are dozens of promises made over thousands of years, all fulfilled perfectly in Jesus Christ. The king born at Christmas, who would die at Easter and rise to new life. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says for all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. No wonder that the, the psalmist would exclaim in verse 13, in verse 12, how blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. To know the protection and provision of a God like this, a God who can make promises and nothing in all of history can stop them. What a God he is. The rightful response is there in verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. Not fear as an abject terror. This is the same God who, verses 1 to 3 says, we delight in and we want to sing to with great joy. But be in awe of a God like this. A God who speaks a word and all the galaxies appear. A God whose plans and whose promises shape the entire course of human history. Now, Christians of a previous generation used to write and say DV the whole time. Not D and V. That's something very different. That's something you really don't want right now in lockdown with your family. Uh, but DV means Deo Valente, which is the Latin for God willing. So if someone was uh, planning to start a new business, you would probably hear them say, well, I'm hoping uh, that we'll, we'll get the business up and running uh, in the second quarter of next year, God willing. Uh, or if they were writing about their plans to, oh, I'm hoping to, to come and, uh, and visit you in France next spring, DV, they might write at the end of the sentence. God willing. If I'm honest, I have to say, I always thought it was a little bit trite and super spiritual. But what I now realise is that I think they just recognised a truth that we've forgotten. A truth that is being forced back into our conscience. A truth that we're finally being confronted with again, which is that, we can make all the plans we like, but actually it is only God whose purposes stand firm. We're in his hands rather than having him at our beck and call. God willing, God willing. God, not me, is in control. Wonderful encouragement in the first half of this psalm. Praise him for his word is mighty and trustworthy. And then in verses 13 to 21, trust him for we are weak and needy. Trust him for we are weak and needy. Now, verses 13 to 19 shift from what God says to what he sees, what he says with his mouth to what he sees with his eyes. Verse 13. 
From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. Four words for God seeing, considering, looking. And what he sees is, well, human pride, human self-sufficiency. Verses 16 to 17. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. The horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Now, I don't think it's surprising that when God looks down at the earth, he sees that humanity is full of pride about our power. I mean, after all, we have put our footprints on the moon. And in our smartphones, we have all the information of the universe in the palms of our hands. Our achievements are incredible. But history is littered with evidence of how vain and hollow human self-sufficiency and pride is. You can forget Titanic. God could not sink this ship. Now we stand here in 2020 with no cure for cancer, with no cure for AIDS, with no cure for malaria in spite of the billions that has been poured into it and the geniuses that have been applied to it. We stand here in 2020 with no end in sight to the poverty gap and no solution for worldwide warfare and conflict. Nations, armies, terrorist groups, corporations, religions, ideologies, they can all be mighty for a time and seem to be in control of the world. But only the God of the Bible is almighty for all time. And what's true at a macro level in the world out there is also true at a micro level in our lives individually. And think of all the things you said you'd do, you planned you'd do, you promised you would do that where suddenly we find we can no longer keep our word. We're beginning to realise that all the things that we looked to to ensure life goes just as I want, all the things that we trusted in to enable us to control life, to, to secure the outcomes we want for our families, our careers, our relationships, our health. It's dawning on us that for all the good that they can do, they can make no promises to us. Whatever our wealth, our education, our connections or our abilities, none of those things can make promises. None of them can give guarantees about our future. Now, verses uh, 13 to 17, uh, as it talks of, of God looking down, it can make us think God is like a harsh teacher or the motorway cops. Not that I've ever had trouble with the motorway cops, wonderful people they are. But we can think that God is like that, looking down on us, just waiting for us to do something wrong so he can sweep on us. But actually, this is very different. God's eyes are not on us to catch us out. Look at verses 18 to 19. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in a time of famine. God is watching us as a parent watches over a small child swimming in a pool, careful to, to make sure they don't get into trouble. He is watching over us to protect and to provide what we need. Now, there is one who is in control. That's the message of this psalm. There is one, verses 18 to 19, who has the ability to keep people alive when all around is death. 
There is one who has the ability to keep us fed when all around there is famine. God is looking down to see those who are looking up to him. God is looking to provide and protect those who look to him and trust in him. Now, I think the danger for us control freaks is that we hear about this almighty God detailed in this psalm and we respond by by effectively wanting to turn him into the ultimate tool to exercise the control that we've lost in our lives. So we try to work out what do I need to pray? How do I need to behave uh, to get this God on my side to guarantee the things that I can no longer guarantee? In other words, we, we look for a genie. But the God of Psalm 33 is not a genie who will do what we want. He is in control. He is God. He decides what happens and when. And we must humble ourselves, therefore, and wait in hope, trusting him to determine the courses and outcomes of our lives, knowing that uh, the one who came and died for us is perfectly good and will do what is best. The one who spoke the stars into being is perfectly powerful and is able to make that best, that good, happen. Trust him. Wait for him. The right response is what we see in verses 20 to 22, to hope, to wait and to trust. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Hope is in these verses, patient. Hope is confident. Hope is joyful and hope is reasonable. Hope is patient. It waits, verse 20. Trusting the God of righteousness and unfailing love, verse 5, will act in his good time. Hope waits. It is confident. It affirms that he is our help and our shield, our protector and provider. It affirms those things even before we have seen his protection arrive. It's joyful in him our hearts rejoice and it's reasonable. Uh, an old school friend saw me uh, posting a link to the, the online services at CCM and he accused me. He said, look, you're just you're preying on people in their vulnerability by offering them this vain hope. But the hope offered by the God of the Bible is no vain hope because it is in his name that we trust, in his holy name, that is in his character proven in page after page after page of scripture detailing century after century after century of person after person after person trusting in this God and finding him trustworthy. Life feels rather out of control right now. We have no idea how long we're in lockdown for and there is nothing any of us can do to impact that. We have no idea whether an effective vaccine will be found and there's very little any of us can do to impact that. We have no idea what shape the economy will be in when we emerge and there's almost nothing we can do to change that. But when you wake up tomorrow, in spite of all the things that you cannot control, you can wake up knowing the one who is in control of everything. You can wake up knowing that every word he has spoken, every promise he has made is perfectly trustworthy. 
So turn to his promises, secure in the knowledge that just as his word of creation brought about the world into being, so his words of promise will shape reality. Read them, meditate on them, memorize them and preach them to the anxieties of your heart. We are not in control, but God is. And in his trustworthy word, he has promised in Romans 8, verse 29, we, uh, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He is at work to bring good from this hardship and confusion. We are not in control. God is. And in his trustworthy word, he has promised in Philippians 3 and verse 19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will provide what we need. We are not in control, but God is. And in his trustworthy word, he has promised in Psalm 16, verse 11, he will fill me with joy in his presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He will bring us home to everlasting life in his joy-saturated paradise. In the promises of scripture, we find the God we need, not the genie we want. So rejoice in him, trust in him, hope in him. We are not in control, but he is. Our Father God, we, uh, we mourn the lack of control. We, uh, we struggle Please forgive us for where we have acted like we are gods in our own little lives. Forgive us for where we have wanted to turn you into the genie who will do whatever we ask. Help us instead to humble ourselves, to look to you and to find in you every promise is secure and true. Amen.